And I just want to start off the night by saying, what an opportunity. What an opportunity we have today right here. Shay, don't laugh at me. Don't, I'm serious right now. It's an opportunity. Um, this shirt, I did not buy at a store. This shirt uh, actually is a celebration because today we celebrated uh, Pastor Daniel Stevens' 40th birthday. He turns 40 in three days. He's been a pastor here forever, it feels like. Not really. He's been a pastor for like 10 years. Shay just keeps laughing at me tonight. So, um, But we did a celebration. So what we did is we made these shirts, and we put all these phrases that he's known to say, like, what an opportunity. Come on, somebody. Uh, I'm going to blow your mind. You know, think, get ready to change your life. Things like that. And then we made these giant Daniel Stevens cut out heads, and then we wore them, and we danced, and we celebrated Daniel. But the reason I picked this shirt, because there was a number of different phrases, is because I loved the phrase itself, an opportunity. Daniel says this all the time, but I think it's true for this group too. What an opportunity. Because Midland Odessa, we were talking about this this morning in Staff Chapel, Midland, they think in 2020, they're going to do a new census, which is where they count the population of the city. It's going to be, they think, over 190,000 people. Some people say it's already happened. It's already here. And so it's, it's growing. People are coming here. The median age of the people in Midland today is 31, which means that Midland is getting younger and the world is coming here. And so we have an opportunity. I know sometimes, and I've felt this way in the past too, that Midland, there is no opportunity here. And many of us are like, I just got to get out of here. I got to get out of here. I'm telling you, God is bringing people here. He's bringing people here to us. And so this is an opportunity. Mid-Cities has an opportunity. Young adults, Mid-Cities young adults has an opportunity. And I believe that what's happening in this room, even right now, if you look around, this is the beginning of something. This is the beginning. God, I think, is birthing something in this area, and he's doing things. And I believe, I believe this truly, that you'll be able to look around this room in, in a year, in two years. There's going to be people everywhere because God's bringing them, and people want to know. People want to know why they're here, what did God put them here for, and what are we doing? And this is a place that I believe that this was what this was created for was for people who are 18 to 30-ish to come, be filled up, but not to stay here in this room, to be pushed out into their destiny. And what that means, it's going to look different for different people. Some people, it's like, oh, man, I need to get involved at the local church. I need to get involved here at Mid-Cities. Or maybe they get inspired to go out on campus and share the gospel with people. But I'm telling you, lives the world has already been changed by Midland, which seems crazy. Midland is one of the most generous cities in the United States, top five. All the others are cities of like a million people or more. Midland's already changed the world, but I really believe this. This isn't a hyperbole. I believe that Midland's going to change the world again. And so that's what this is about. This isn't just let's go play church together. Let's, you know, let's get together and do this thing. No, this is about more than that. 
This is about the dream, the vision that God has for the kingdom of God to invade the Permian Basin. And I believe that Mid-Cities Young Adults has the potential to not just reach Midland Odessa, but to really reach the world. Specifically, even into the Latin American world, Mexico, places like that. I'm believing that as Mid-Cities expands, Mid-Cities Young Adults is going to expand too. So it's an opportunity. It's an opportunity. And so tonight, what I really want to do is I've kind of, we've, we've talked about a number of different things, but what I really wanted to focus in on tonight is some of the big, the values of what Young Adults is about. Because I want y'all to understand and to know, what is Young Adults? Like, why do we hear? And if we're going to do this thing, if we're going to fulfill the call, to, you know, fulfill what we were born for, we got to know what we're doing. And so we're going to be highlighting different things over the next few weeks of, like, what is Mid-Cities Young Adults about? And so tonight we're going to be talking about prayer. And prayer is interesting because, I don't know it's you, but prayer seems very simple on the surface. We all kind of intuitively, especially people born in the United States, we all kind of intuitively know, what is prayer? Well, it's, I'm praying to God. I'm talking to God. And I think that that's true. We kind of, and we intuitively know we should do it. We know how to do it. But I've yet to just like walk up to somebody on the street, and I do this sometimes because I'm weird like this, and I'll ask them, why do we pray? And they're like, maybe not just random people on the street. Okay, I don't do it to random people. Discipleship relationships, people. I'll come, I'll have a coffee. I'm sitting across from them. Why do we pray? And usually they're like, well, and they realize they've never actually stopped to think about why they pray. They just do it. And then you start having these conversations about like, well, uh, you know, you ask them like, well, does God, is God sovereign? Is God's will going to be done? And they're like, well, yeah. And I was like, well, so is our prayer to get God to do things? Well, like, well, and then other people are like, well, maybe I'm supposed to pray because I need God to heal me. So I'm going to pray enough times and then God's going to do this stuff. And neither of those answers seem right. But those are the two common answers. They're, and, they're, and then they find themselves in this place where they're like, I don't know why I'm praying. But tonight we want to answer that question. Because a prayer life is as important in the walk of a believer as anything else. There's some things that are as important as our prayer life, but nothing is more important. And so that's a big part. That's one of the key values I've put with young adults is a prayer. And I want this, this space, this movement, us to be a people who pray. So we're going to start with really the master, the master teacher, the savior, the greatest man who's ever walked the earth. He's the one who's going to teach us how to pray. And we'll find out that when he teaches us how to pray, he's teaching us why we pray at the same time. So I want you to do is pull out your phones. Most of us probably have our phones for our Bibles, so that's great. You have full permission to do that. Um, we're going to use our phones at the end of this for a brief exercise, so go ahead and have that pulled out. We're going to be in Matthew chapter 6, starting at verse 5. And I'd encourage you, take notes, too. If you're going to have your phone out, go ahead and take notes, because I don't know if it's you. Usually, growing up, I was the guy who's like, I don't need to take notes, I got it all up here. I can lock it away. Lock it away. And I never locked anything away. Never. I thought I did, and then I'd talk to friends after. like, oh, I'd be like, man, that was such a great message. And then they'd be like, oh, tell me one of the points. 
Well, it was great. It was great. But see, that's the thing is like the God's word is living and active. And so if we write it down, it's a space that we can come back to over and over and over again, and God can begin to do a work in us. So I'd encourage you to take notes as we're doing this. So we're going to start. We're going to read through Matthew verse, chapter 6. This is the Sermon on the Mount, one of the most famous sermons ever given. And this is probably the most famous prayer ever uttered. So this is where we're going. Starting in verse 5. And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites. For they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners, that they may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your father who is in secret. And your father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do. For they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them. For your father knows what you need before you ask him. Pray then like this. Our father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. The first thing that Jesus leads us with is, he's actually leads off with telling us how not to pray. And at the time, he's telling us right here, at that time, the Pharisees and other religious leaders, they're showing up at the synagogues, they're showing up at the street corners, and they're just raising their hands, and they're yelling to God, and they're probably amazing prayers by our standards, and they're just shouting. And, God, and Jesus immediately cuts that out, and he says, prayer, essentially saying prayer is not a platform. Prayer is not a platform. Prayer is not the place for us to show how spiritual we are, Prayer is not the place to show how amazing we are or how eloquent our words are. And I find I do this all the time, guys, where I'm praying for, I'm praying, or I'm sometimes I'm just praying by myself in my room. And I'm like, man, this is a great prayer. Great prayer. But I've missed it right there. My heart is in the wrong place because that's not what prayer is about. Prayer is not a platform. Prayer is not a performance. Have you ever heard somebody just say, start up. I'm about to come up to your friend and you're like, Jake, I'm about to have the best conversation of your life with you. The best conversation. No, no one talks like that. And if they did, you'd be like, you're not my friend. I'm not talking to you. You're weird. But we do that all the time, at least in our hearts. When we talk about prayer, we want to go to the Lord and we want to show him how amazing we are. And it'd be just like going to our friend saying, I'm about to blow your mind to use a Daniel Stevens quote with my conversation I'm about to have with you. That's not what prayer is about. The next thing he tells us when he says, do not Babylon like the Gentiles. What he's talking about here, let's just read it real fast. Here we go. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. The Gentiles may have done this, and I imagine there was plenty of Jews who did this as well. And there's plenty of us who do that, too. 
Because the thing is, is we think that by praying enough, by saying the right things enough, that somehow we're going to leverage God into doing what we want him to do. And we have this idea that if I just say it the right way, or if I, I say please enough, that, that he's, or say the magic words like Jesus' name 10 different times in my prayer, that all of a sudden God's going to do what I want him to do. And see, that's what the Gentiles did. At that time, what was popular in prayer was that this idea that you had to do all these magic phrases and incantations and say it over and over and over again, and eventually you would appease the God enough that the God would move on your behalf. And Jesus is saying, don't be like that because we miss the point. There's no relationship in that. This is like, that's an exchange. That's like, a, I'm giving you a certain amount of money via my prayers, and you're going to give me a product back. That's not what prayer is. And so then he transitions and he says, pray then like this. And so briefly, I want to pause there and tell you, some people see that, see this prayer, and that's really the only prayer they ever pray. It's the Lord's Prayer is what it's called. But what Jesus is saying is this is not the exclusive prayer you're supposed to, to utter. He's just giving us a model. He's just giving us a way. He's like, this is what a good, this is what a holy prayer, a righteous prayer should be like. This is what it should encompass. And so he just starts off. We're going to read it one more time. It should be on the screen. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. So I want to pull it, if you would, put the, the slide up that has the entire prayer. Okay. Well, there we go. Um, actually, no. Well, we're just going to move on. So here we go. The most th- what's the first thing that jumps out to your mind? What's the line that jumps, think in your internal, like in your head, what's the line that jumps out to you in that prayer? If you're like me, the first line that really jumps out to me is give us this day our daily bread. Like that's the one that like, hot, like jumps out to me. And I think the reason is, is because I've got needs. And most of the time, that's like my initial state of mind when I come to God in prayer is I have needs and I want these needs filled. And so when Jesus says, give us this day our daily bread, that's probably the line that most of the people he was talking to like most resonated with right away because it's about us. We think it's about us. But the thing that's amazing about this is that initially as good Christians who grew up in church and stuff, it feels weird to be like, well, I have needs and to think that prayer is about needs. But the amazing thing is that God includes it in the prayer. He includes, give us this day our daily bread, which means that Jesus cares about our needs. There it is. Yeah, give us this day our daily bread. He cares about your needs. Some of prayer, some of the point of prayer is, it is to have our needs filled. And our needs look like we need food. We need shelter. We need clothes. We need an environment for us to thrive in. And we need these things, these external things in our life that we want and we need. And Jesus is saying, it's okay. 
It's okay to come with me with those things. So when you've prayed, and I'm sure you have, right before you go into your test and you didn't study and you're saying, Lord, I'm just, I'm going to need you. He's happy to hear that prayer. Now, you may reap what you sow and not pass your test that you didn't study for. But he's not mad that you came to him with the need because he cares about you. But then he transitions, and he says an and here, and he says, and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And what he, mean by, what he means by debts there is our sins, the things in our life. And now he went from external things to talking about internal things. And the amazing thing about this is this is still a need. And he, he clumps it together with the daily bread. There's an and there. It's not like he said, and give us this day our daily bread, period, and forgive us, and forgive us our sins. He included it in the same sentence, which what I think he's telling you is that those internal needs like forgiveness, wholeness, being made well in the Lord are just as important daily as the, as the food, as our clothes, as having a great job, these external needs that we have, which tend, we tend to focus more on, is these things that we can see and we can touch and we can eat. But Jesus is basically reframing it and he's saying, no, those are important, but what's just as important is the state of your heart, the state of your soul. And they're just, they're just as important on a daily basis. And that's the thing, guys, is we have needs. We do have these needs. But he's basically telling us is that we have needs internally as well. We need God to come into our life and transform us, to make us whole. And the amazing thing, the interesting thing about needs is when you have a need, that intuitively means that you can't fill that need yourself. Because the thing is, guys, is a need, if you could fill it, if you could fulfill your need, it wouldn't be a need anymore. But when we have a need, that means that there's something that I don't have that I can't provide for myself. And that's why he transitions to the next line. And he says, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. And what that means right there is, I mean, it's obvious it says protect us, but what he's really saying is protect us from ourselves. The reason he says lead us is because if we were left to our own devices, it wouldn't just lead us not into temptation. It means we would find temptation. If you weren't led by Jesus, it's not that you're at risk to being tempted or at risk to being given over to evil. You will be given over to evil. You will find temptation. And that's the thing, guys, is we cannot, I really want you to get this. We have needs for food. We even have needs to be made whole. We, and I think we all kind of intuitively know this as human beings. You, I mean, my, my babies, when they were born, immediately start crying because they're hungry and they have a need. They want to be, be filled. And then as we get older and we learn language and we learn to communicate, we start realizing, like, we need these other things that are less tangible. I need love. I need to feel peace. I need to feel hope. But the key thing here at the end is that God is saying to us, 
you need me to be in charge of your life. And that's the hard part for us. That's hard for us Americans especially. is because we've been taught this gospel of America that is that you need to be reliant on yourself. And that if you need things or you need other people, that you're weak. And we have this idea, especially young men in the United States, we have this idea that if to need something, to need anyone, to need friends, to need God, to need anything, that now you're no longer a man, but you're weak. And I think that, that it's not just men. I think it's men and women in the United States because we have idolized this, uh, this ideology of freedom. And freedom is amazing. God made us to be free, but we've put it too high on the shelf. And so with our freedom, we mean if freedom, total freedom, is this idea, well, I don't need anybody because if I have people in my life, if I have community in my life, if I have God in my life, then that's going to infringe on my freedom of my person. But what God is saying is, I never made you that way. I didn't make you to be on your own, to be responsible for your needs. I made you for me to fulfill your needs. I made you for me to fulfill your needs. We need to be led, which brings us to the ultimate question that I posed at the beginning is, why do we pray? A lot of these things we've been talking about kind of can fit in those categories we were talking at the beginning. We need to pray to be with God. And what I mean by that is we need to pray in order to find God's heart for our lives and for others' lives to find the rhythm, to use poetic language, to find the rhythm of God's heartbeat, to engage with him, to speak to him, to know where God is so that I can be there too. Because in order for God to fulfill my needs, if ultimately what is happening is that God made me to be fulfilled by him, I have to be where he is. And there was a time in human history where we couldn't do that because Jesus had not come yet. We couldn't go to him. So what did God do? He came to us to fulfill us, to give us that opportunity, to get that door to walk through. I was thinking of an example of this is that uh, growing up, I had a bunch of friends who were in bands. How many of you ever tried to learn an instrument? How many of you succeeded in learning an instrument? Okay. How many of you played an instrument for like five minutes or, you know, a few hours, got the you know, got on the internet, got a few pages, and then quit. That was me, over and over. Obed, I know, man, I know, I'm there with you. But I learned some things, because I would listen to them, and they would tell me this, is that what's the most important part of music? Anyone want to give a guess? The tempo, the rhythm, the timing. And so typically what that means is that in a band, the drums are the most important instrument because they're the foundation. And they're the ones that's, it's the instrument that sets time. And that's the instrument that the other instruments look to in order to find the time, to find the rhythm in the music. Because what happens is, is when you get off rhythm, the music starts to be less music and more noise. And then eventually, if everyone gets off the timing, it's no music at all. It's just noise. And so what the band does is they listen to the rhythm of the drums, the tempo of the drums. And if it's a great drummer, they're going to stay on time the whole time. 
and all the other band members are going to be able to, even if they get lost, because inevitably we're human beings, we're going to make mistakes, and a, and a guitarist is going to lose where he is in the song, but he'll be, if it's a great drummer, he can turn around and he can listen to where that drummer's tempo is, and he can get back in line, back in rhythm. And really what it is, guys, what prayer is, is we're finding the rhythm of God's heart, the rhythm of God's life, because we're all pieces in this, in this music, in this band of life. And the thing is, is God gave us free will. And so you have the ability to get off rhythm in your life. But the thing is, is God is the perfect keeper of tempo, the perfect keeper of time. His will is going to be done no matter what. He's never coming off time. He's never going to be off beat. So we pray in order to find that rhythm that God's doing in, the, in our lives, in your life, in Midland Odessa's life, in the kingdom of God as a whole, the world. Because there's that time, that sound is going out. He's keeping that beat. And we have, we're the rest of the band. We're the ones filling out the rest of the music. We're the guitar players and the piano players and the bass players, the singers. And the thing is, guys, is we want to make beautiful noise. Not noise, music. Sorry, excuse me. Noise is the bad thing. But so often, that's as human beings what we do. We're just making noise. We're just making noise. We're doing our own thing. We're not praying. We're not engaging. We don't have God's heart. And so we're just making noise. And noise hurts people. Noise hurts people. It hurts you. And that's the thing, guys, the danger. Because at the beginning, of that, at the end of that passage, it says, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. He's telling us there's danger. There's danger in this world. You can get hurt. And the danger, guys, of not praying is we'll find ourselves alone. We'll find ourselves alone. And the thing is, is sometimes, yeah, I'm not saying that there's, I mean, there's tons of people who, pr- who don't pray at all, and they have some form of community. But the thing is, guys, is we weren't made to be isolated from God. Every human being who has breath in their lungs was made from their mother's womb to be in communion and relationship with God. And the thing is, is if we don't have that relationship, if we're in isolation in that relationship, it will bleed over into our other relationships. The danger is isolation. And the thing is, is that just like I was saying about that freedom, the thing we love, the thing that idol we put on our life that I don't need anybody, that isolation is a lie and that isolation will kill you. It will kill you. It will ruin your life, but it wants to ruin your life. That's the lie that the enemy uses for us is that you don't need people. You don't need the Lord. You don't need to pray. We have to engage. We have to pray. We have to find that heartbeat, and it's beautiful. God's heart for you, for the world, for our cities, for our campuses, it's the best music you've ever heard. So we have to engage. We have to engage in that heart and find that, and then you'll find that your heartbeat starts beating in line with his heartbeat. And some of you may be, to close this up, some of you may be finding yourself saying, but, but, the hard thing, Jacob, I get that. I can, I can engage God's heartbeat. I can, I can care about other people, and I can care what God cares about. But what about my needs? If, I'm, if my job is to get in line with what God wants, how am I going to be fulfilled? What if God's, what, what God wants isn't what I want? 
I think that's a, a rele- I think that's a relevant question. I think that's a question that many of us have asked because the fundamental thing is that some of us don't trust God yet. And that's why I love the beginning of the of the prayer. The beginning of the prayer. Let me find it. Sorry. Here it is. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That language, first off, is Jesus. He's starting, the reason he starts off with the prayer is he's saying, he's teaching us how to get in line with God's heartbeat as we're praying, your will be done. Your kingdom come. But he starts it off. The first two words is he says, our Father. And for us, in English, Father seems like a really formal title. Like, I can't remember the last time I walked into the living room. I was like, and my dad's sitting at the computer. I'm like, Father. Right? Like, that's, that's not how I talk to my dad. And certainly not how I talked to my dad when I was a two-year-old or a three-year-old. I can't imagine Bear walking into the room, waking up in the morning to come kick me in the face to wake me up and saying, Father! What that actually word, though, is in Aramaic is Abba. And Abba is most closely translated to our English word for daddy. Daddy. And some of us, that's the thing, is Jesus is telling us right from the beginning, this relationship is the relationship of a child and their daddy. And that's a beautiful, right? There's immediately, when you know a child is calling their parent daddy, that's a relationship that's a good relationship. Because unfortunately, so many of us have been touched by bad fathers that didn't have that daddy relationship. But if you're a child that feels the freedom to come into your dad's arms and say, daddy, that's a relationship that's in right standing. And that's a father who's loved his children in a godly way, who meets his children's needs, who loves his children, who holds his children. So what Jesus is saying is you have the right, and this was mind-blowing to the people who heard it. No one had ever prayed to God before like that and said, Daddy. No one. And Jesus is sitting there welcoming us into that relationship. Okay? And that's the thing is you don't need to be afraid Getting in beat and getting in line with the heartbeat of God will fulfill every need you've ever had. You will not lack for anything. And you'll have a relationship where you can walk into the living room of heaven, climb into God's lap and say, Daddy, I love you. And I can't tell you, it seems it's a bizarre picture for a grown man to want to sit in someone else's lap and say, Daddy. But I'm telling you, it feels like... And he realized, this is what I was made for. I was made to have that relationship with God. And when we have that relationship, when we have that place where we, with genuine hearts, come to God and we say, Daddy, your will, not mine. Your life will be transformed. Your city will be transformed. Your family will be transformed. Because that's the thing is not enough of us have done this in our lifetime. This is the simplest prayer. So, I mean, it's like eight lines. It's so simple, and yet there's so much here. Is That's the thing is Jesus was teaching us how to pray, but he was teaching us why we pray. He was teaching us why we pray. We pray to find God's will because God's will is the best will. So the exercise I wanted to talk about. If you're up for it, I'd love for all of us 
to set an alarm on our phones. It's for the next month. So right now is the 19th of February. We have the same dates for next month for young adults. So March 5th and March 19th. For the next month till the next young adults, I mean two young adults from now, March 19th, I would love for us to set an alarm at noon on our phones. And then as a group, I mean, we're all over the city. None of us are in the same rooms typically at this time. But the thing is, is noon's a great time because all of us are awake, all of us are doing something, and we can set this alarm on our phones. And as a, young, as a ministry, as young adults, we can pray together across our city. Because the thing is, guys, is sometimes I need a little accountability in my life for me to actually do this. Prayer is not my biggest strength at all. I was the guy who, during prayer sessions and stuff like that, but my wife's amazing at prayer, amazing. And I'm, I mean, she's a professional. I mean, if she's a major league baseball player of prayer, I'm in T-ball still and not very good and like swinging and hitting the tee and not the ball and knocking it over. That's my life in prayer, right? But the thing is, is we have to start somewhere. And accountability, that's why we need people, is this community. And that's the beautiful thing about this prayer, is this prayer, the language is all plural. He's inviting a group of people to pray this prayer. It's not a singular prayer. Our sins, our debts. And so, guys, that's my challenge to you, is set this prayer, set this alarm, and let's pray together. And let's see what God does over the next 30 days. And that's the thing, as I would love, I believe that God's going to do big things. I think God's going to move on the UTBB campus in the next 30 days. I believe that God's going to move in the workplace in the next 30 days. I believe that God's going to move in mid-cities over the next 30 days. But we have to engage. And so I'm setting my alarm at noon. I encourage you to set your alarm at noon. And it doesn't have to be some crazy long prayer. It doesn't need to be an hour worth of prayer. Just start somewhere. Shay had a great example of this on her Instagram. She was encouraging people to read. And she talks about, like, don't try to jump. If, you've only, if you're reading zero minutes a day, don't jump to two to three hours a day. She said, start small. Start for 15 minutes and then build. So if your life, if your prayer life is set at zero minutes right now, don't jump to two to three hours. Praying five minutes is infinitely better than praying zero minutes. If pr- praying this prayer, if, if you don't know what to pray, just pray the Lord's Prayer. Because it's a great model, and you'll grow in it. And the Lord will do something, and you'll begin to pray different things. But the thing is, is you'll be finding God's heartbeat. Your prayers will change. They won't be, hey, help me, don't make me sick, help me pass my test. Those are things that are fine, but you'll see that your, your prayers will expand to other things. So that's my challenge to you. I'm going to be doing that. My alarm is going to be set on my phone noon. I know Ernie's going to be doing it with me. I know Will and Kristen will be doing it with me. I'm so, I can't, I mean, the thing is, guys, I can't tell you how excited I am for the future, for what God's doing and what's being birthed right now. But every great movement in history has begun with prayer. And so if we want to see God break down the gates of hell in Midland and Odessa and the Permian Basin and beyond, excuse me, and the world, we have to have, we have to be, we have to find that heartbeat. We got to have that prayer line. So let's pray. Father, Lord Jesus, we just, Daddy, 
Daddy, we just thank you. We thank you, Jesus, that you were not satisfied to leave us in darkness. But you knew and desired to fulfill our needs. And so you came in the flesh to meet us where we were and to fulfill our needs, Lord. I pray, Lord God, that over the next 30 days and beyond, Lord, you begin to teach us even further what your heart is for prayer. Teach us how to pray, God. Teach us why we pray. Make it real. Make it real in our hearts, God, that we would know your heart. If we know your heart, Lord, we'll be able to love our brother and our sister and our enemy and our neighbor the way you love them, God. Give us a passion for your kingdom and your will. We love you, Lord. I thank you, Father, that you are bringing the nations to Midland, Odessa. Lord, we just pray that we would have the hearts, the hands open to receive them. We love you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.